You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. In 1 John chapter 5 and kind of land the plane on 1 John chapter 5. So uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit of information, inside information about me. Now hang on to the end because it, it has a good ending. I did not want to do it. And, and I'll, I'll tell you why. So I am the same denomination as Jesus, Presbyterian Church in America. And, uh, and I believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful for teaching, training, correcting. Um, and uh, I believe that it's trustworthy and true. So all of Scripture, all of Scripture. Uh, however, I, I struggle with First John uh, because it is so repetitious. Now again, remember, I, I exalt Scripture. It is, the, it is the, uh, the final authority for faith and life and everything. But it's so repetitious. Over and over and over again, John tells us, uh, you're children of God. Okay, I got that. Uh, remember the gospel. Okay, I got that. Uh, you should love one another. Okay, I got that. How many times can he say it? And, uh, and I thought, it's like a grandma who says, hey, did you eat your vegetables? Yeah, yeah, Grandma, I eat my vegetables. Hey, did you eat your vegetables? Yeah. Hey, are you listening to your parents? You should listen to your parents. Yeah, Grandma, I got that. Hey, Gra- uh, how was school? Uh, Grandma, school is fine. Hey, how was school this week, Grandma? It's like over and over and over again. And I, and I thought, why in the world is he so repetitious? Now, uh, so I went to, uh, Shannon and I both went to Covenant Seminary over in St. Louis 30-something years ago. My homiletics, my preaching professor was Brian Chapel who literally wrote the book on preparation and delivery of sermons. And there's, a, there's kind of a, a process, procedure for sermon preparation, and Adam's probably familiar with this too. And Brian Chapel taught all of us that one of the first things that you do in sermon preparation is you look for what he called FCF, and that stands for Fallen Condition Focus. So whenever you approach a text of Scripture, you ask yourself the question, what condition in me, in us, as fallen humanity, is this text trying to address? And so as I was preparing for this and I was letting it percolate over the last few weeks since Adam asked me, I asked myself that question, so why is John so repetitious of remember who you are in Christ, remember the gospel, remember who you are, Uh, love the brothers, uh, love the people who are already believers. Why is John so repetitious? What falling condition in us is John trying to address or to remedy? We forget, right? Why does your grandma tell you to eat your vegetables? You forget that your vegetables are good for you. Why does John keep saying the same thing over and over and over again? Because we forget. We forget the gospel. I forget that I'm a child of God. Now, I don't know if that astonishes you or not, that an experienced, I guess I've been a Christian for 36, 7 years, something like that, that I often forget that I'm a child of God. That I often forget that I'm supposed to love the brothers and sisters in Christ, even sometimes when they're unlovable. But I forget. Uh, And so, uh, John's Gospel helps us to remember a couple of really fundamental things. Uh, and the first one is this, that John's, uh, John's epistle, 1 John 5, uh, in verse 13 and verse 14, will be our main focus. 
But John reminds us that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have eternal life. Now, I think a lot of people in here are going, yeah, of course. Yeah, I hear that all the time. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I have eternal life. But do you ever forget it? I I think we do. Uh, But I think there's also some other people who are in here who are maybe on the periphery or maybe not as experienced uh, in the life of the church or in the gospel who really struggle to know that you're a child of God and that you have eternal life, what that means. And so, uh, Adam already read the text, and so uh, I'm not going to read it, uh, but I'm going to reference it a couple of times. Uh, Let me give you an example. Um, so I was, uh, we were church planters in, uh, in Utah for eight and a half years and, uh, awesome. I had a really good relationship, friendship with other evangelical pastors. It was occasionally asked to preach at other churches. And so one of my friends, uh, Bill, uh, pastored church, uh, Salt City Rock in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, a wonderful church, dynamic worship, absolutely awesome. A little more charismatic than we Presbyterians, you know, we, our, our hand motions can only go shoulder high and within a foot of the body, so you can't really raise your hands. Um, and uh, there was a wonderful, wonderful lady uh, down there that I knew uh, through a local Bible study. And anyway, so Bill asked me to preach, and it was a Saturday night service, and I was preaching on Isaiah 62. Uh, and if you don't know, this is where, um, where Isaiah, God through Isaiah, is talking to his people. And he's saying um, that uh, he's going to restore them. Uh, and he's talking about their status before him uh, in the future, what he's going to do. And he talks about, uh, people look at you now, people of Israel, and they call you forsaken. But one day, uh, they're not going to call you forsaken. They're going to call you uh, beautiful. They're going to call you Hephzibah. But you're going to have a new name. And you're going to be beautiful because I'm going to make you beautiful. I'm going to take those ashes that you've got on you of uh, mourning uh, and of loss and I'm going to put a crown on you. You're going to be beautiful. And I'm going to give you a new name. Uh, and I, I really emphasize that part in my sermon on Isaiah 62, is that, when, that, that God takes our brokenness and takes our messiness, uh, and He does a work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the work of the gospel, and He changes us and He brings us from aliens and strangers and outcasts, and He brings us into His family and calls us children, and He gives us a new name. Now He delights in us. We don't have to worry about his judgment. We don't have to fear that day of judgment. He gives us a new name. We're children of God. And as I was preaching that, I had this moment where, I hate to say this, but I wasn't sure if that was true. I struggled to believe that it was true in my own life. And afterwards, this lady, uh, Barbara that I knew, she came up to me, and it's one of those people that, if, if you're familiar with, uh, if you've got a friend who's just really in touch with God and really has a gift of discernment and really can, can speak into your life and, and, and just ask you probing questions, get down into your heart and your life, and it, it's really uncomfortable, right, because you want to have a little bit of a safeguard and you don't want people to get into your business too much. And Barbara came up and she goes, hey, do you really believe that? And I was like, actually, Barbara, I struggle to believe that. That I, the wretched sinner that I am, am a child of God and that God delights in me. Because we're prone to forget the good news of the gospel. 
And John says in verse 13 that we have assurance of eternal life. Now, there's a little bit of a difference between 1 John 5, 13. Um, I write these things so that you may know. Uh, in the end of John's gospel, or near the end, John 20, 31, where he says, I write these things so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's gospel spends uh, uh, its time painting this incredibly beautiful portrait of Jesus and showing you this is who Jesus is. This is God in the flesh come down and living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death for you and for me, rising again from the dead, ascending to the right hand of God, and now sending His Holy Spirit into us. This is so that you can believe that Jesus is who He said He was. That He did what the accounts in the Gospels and the Epistles say that He did. And that it's real. And that when you believe that, your status is you're no longer an enemy of God, but now you're a child of God. And John's Gospel gets that point across. And he's like, look, I didn't even tell you all the things that Jesus said and did. I just told you these selective things so that you may know that Jesus is who he said he was. And that you may believe in Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean intellectual assent. Yeah, I believe those things are true. It doesn't just mean agreement with these things. It means believing in Jesus is believing into Jesus. Casting yourself onto Jesus as your only hope of reconciling with the Holy God. That you may believe in Jesus. And then you have life in His name. Um, God is now your Father. That is absolutely amazing. Are you not amazed by that? In verse 14, John goes on to talk about this. Not only do we have assurance that we're right with God, that we're reconciled with God, but in verse 14, John says, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Now, I, uh, I, I'm always grateful for uh, friends, uh, the folks in our GC who... Um, are just an inspiration as far as uh, regular prayer time with God, uh, really connecting with God, uh, really joyful, uh, full of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I really appreciate that. But I, I got to say that I think, I think I spent a lot of my life not as a Christian, you know, the first 23 years of my life, that I am one of those people who continually wrestles with going to God on a regular basis, approaching God in prayer. Now, John is saying that we can have confidence to approach God. And he's talking about approaching God, because remember now, we're in a relationship with God. This is not a past historical event, oh, I became a Christian and now I'm just going to live my life and be a good person. That's not it. This is a relationship where we are continually dependent on the Holy Spirit 
to show us the beauty and majesty of Christ, to uh, go before God uh, for us, to intercede for us. Uh, And so uh, this is about how do we approach God. And I want to specifically address those who, like me, struggle to approach God. What are some of the reasons why we would not have confidence to approach God? Because we, we mess up, don't we? I mean, I'm speaking for myself that I mess up. Uh, and, and maybe you're in the same boat as me that occasionally uh, you make a mess of things. Uh, occasionally uh, you, uh, uh, you wander away. Uh, occasionally uh, you just don't feel the need to approach God in prayer. Um, and John here is reminding you and reminding me that because of who we are in Jesus Christ, we have access to God. That is pretty amazing. The, uh, the story that comes to my mind uh, first and foremost, uh, when I struggle to approach God, it's most often because, and maybe you're like this too, that you look at your own performance and you realize that it doesn't measure up, uh, and you think, I- I'm ashamed to approach God. You see how easy it is to forget the gospel, right? Um, that the illustration that I love the most, it really has, is, you know, uh, resonates in my heart, is the prodigal son. Now, there are a couple of sons, right? The story that, uh, the parable that, that uh, Jesus tells in Luke. Uh, and it's the younger son, right? He says to dad, dad, you know what, thanks for everything, but really, I just kind of want my inheritance now. And he goes off, and he spends his inheritance on wild living. And he becomes so destitute that this kid, the younger son, is basically feeding pigs. He's in the muck, he's in the mire, and he's so hungry that he says uh, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. This is a story of utter desperation. And he comes back to God. Now, you have to imagine what this person smells like and what this person looks like. And he knows that he's made a mess of things. And he says to his father, look, he's got a whole plan. I know that I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me like a servant, like a hired hand. I'm going to live in the barn. That's all I want, God. And I think a lot of us are like that. You know what, God, I'm not worthy to come all the way into the house. I'm not worthy to be a child of yours. I'm not worthy for you to kill the fatted calf, for you to put the ring on my finger and the robe on me. I'm so broken. I messed up so much. Just let me live in the barn. Just let me be a hired servant. And you are so shortchanging the gospel. Because it's so hard to believe that God's grace and God's mercy is that incredibly big that when we've made a mess of things that through in Jesus Christ that we are no longer stuck in the pigsty but that we're bought we're brought in and made fully 
children of God. So when you struggle to approach God in prayer because you're looking at your own performance, you're looking at the wrong thing. And this is the importance of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. This is the Spirit's job. Yes, to convict you of your sin and your waywardness and of your need for Jesus Christ. But it's also to lift your focus up off of yourself and your own performance and to show you the beauty and the majesty and the glory of Jesus Christ. When, not if, but when you approach God in prayer, that's your focus, not you and your performance, because we're train wrecks. But instead, it's on the beauty and majesty and the perfect performance of Jesus Christ. God said, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. It's a struggle, man. John points it out here. He says, you know what, we belong to God, but the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we wrestle Right? Even if you have assurance of salvation, and even if you have confidence to approach God, you realize that every day is a battle. Every day is a struggle to believe. Every day is a struggle to rush into the arms of Jesus and collapse into His arms. Every day is a battle. Calvin had some great quotes. Uh, John Calvin I had some great quotes when talking about this passage. This is, Calvin's like 600 years old, and I was, I was reading Calvin's commentaries. This, this, that sounds terribly unromantic. I was reading Calvin's commentaries to my wife the other day. Um, but, and, and she was sitting on the floor and, uh, and watching TV, and I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, Calvin just nailed it. And I've been a Christian for a long time, and I'm very familiar with the Scriptures too, but because I and we are so prone to forget the Gospel that I had to be reminded again by John, the Apostle John, and John Calvin of what it means to be a child of God and to approach Him. Calvin says this, This passage is remarkable. For though Satan continually repeats his dreadful and horrible onsets. Yet the Spirit of God, declaring that we are beyond the reach of danger, removes fear and animates us to fight with courage. It is indeed true that our warfare continues through life and that our conflicts are daily, that new and various battles are every moment on every side stirred up against us by the enemy. But as God does not arm us only for one day, and as faith is not that of one day, but is the perpetual work of the Spirit, we are already partakers of victory, as though we had already conquered. And this is the confidence He shows that in which our confidence especially is that the godly dare confidently to call on God. And he references Paul in Ephesians 3, that we have Ephesians 3, by faith we have access to God with confidence. In Romans 8.15, that the Spirit gives us access to God and helps us cry out, Abba, Father. 
This one thing renders our troubles blessed because we surely know that God will be our deliverer and relying on His paternal love towards us, we flee to Him. Isn't that the exact opposite of our tendency? Our tendency is we think that God, when we approach Him, is going to be shaking His head. You're back again? Really? And we think that He's just going to kind of wag His finger. And so we approach without confidence. If we approach at all. Or when we approach. We're so despondent. We've got our heads cast down. And Paul and John and the Gospels and everything that is true tells us that we can approach God with confidence. Uh, I think my family members could hack into every password that I have online because it's like two verses that are just variations of the same verse. One is Romans 3.24. That was our, kind of our key verse at our church plant in Utah. It says, we're justified freely by His grace. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by God's grace. That really captures my heart. The other one is this in Zephaniah. Now, Zephaniah is a minor prophet. You probably don't know. Uh, I don't know if you've read Zephaniah. The minor prophets are interesting and awesome. Uh, but in Zephaniah chapter 3, um, there's, a whole, there's a whole section. That's, it's, a, it's a song. And what Zephaniah 3 gets across, and I'm going to end with this, what Zephaniah 3 gets across is this. And this prophet speaking for God, speaking to our hearts, says this. Okay. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. <laughs> what a contrast to what we, in our sinful hearts and our doubting hearts, believe God's attitude is toward us. If you are in Christ, you can rush into the arms of God. And He delights in you. And He rejoices over you with singing. You don't have to fear. One of my, uh, one of my favorite things about, uh, about my, my kids is if, uh, is it my, I'll, I'll just call out uh, my, my daughter. Don't tell her I said this too. So uh, my daughter, if, I swear, if I, if I said to her, if I called her and I said, hey, I just won the lottery, I just won $500 million. You know what her reaction would be? Hey, can I have some? And I think that is absolutely awesome. And she's been like that ever since she was a kid. You know what that reflects? Unashamedly, courageously, unabashedly, confidently, knowing that her father is going to give her the best. I love that about my kids. They will not hesitate to ask me for anything. That's what God thinks of you. If you are in Jesus Christ, you don't have to despair. You don't have to fear. God may discipline you for your waywardness. God may speak to you tough words of tough love, 
to get you to return to Him. But if you're a child of God, He will never, ever, ever cast you out of His family. And that is the good news of the Gospel. Let's pray.